This is uh, Paul Schneider today on the 130th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainer Avenue. My special guest today is Steve Kelly, retired Seattle Times sports columnist. Steve last joined me about two years ago in July of 2021, literally about two years to the day. Uh, I mentioned I have a, a new assistant, Olivia Coyne. Olivia's dad's one of my closest friends, Ben. Olivia's doing a good job helping me as a producer and assistant. She is now a student at the University of Washington. Uh, my shows are also on Podbean, YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, trying to get it back up on Rumble, and I and um, you can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net and uh, plslawoffices.com. I encourage my listeners to click the like button, comment, go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net, where you can check out my show and some of those, some of those outlets. Obviously, only favorable comments, of course, but, you know. Um, as mentioned, Steve Kelly's a retired sports columnist, the Seattle Times. He also worked at Oregonian in Portland as a columnist. Uh, Steve continues to be involved in the community as a basketball coach, tutor, and theater support of the Shakespeare Theater in Seattle. Um, I grew up reading Steve's columns, and it's been fun to get to know him on a personal level for quite a few years now. Um, Steve is um, my most frequent guest. Uh, it's great to have Steve come on. Um, and I Do I get like a gold watch or something for that? Yeah, no, exactly, for sure. I should find you a good gold watch, yeah. But I appreciate you coming back on Sports Untold, Steve. It's always fun to have you. Always a pleasure. Good, good. Hey, I, you know, I asked you two years ago, who's a living sports figure you'd love to spend time with? And you said Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It was a good answer. Um Here's a new question I have for you. Who's a sports executive, an owner, or an agent, someone on the business side of sports that you would find fascinating to spend some time with? Howard Slusher. Howard was uh, was an agent for Gus Williams when Gus was a holdout in uh, 1982, I think. No, no, 1980. What was it? The mid-1980s. Gus held out. Uh, the entire season with the Sonics. Howard was his agent, Paul Westfall's agent, Tom Chambers' agent, Danny Vrain's agent. Um, he wasn't a 10% guy. Um, he negotiated his other deals. He was a friend. Every year, he, he lived in Palos Verdes. Every year he had a uh, summertime uh, Olympics where there would be all these events with these great athletes, you know, Paul Westfall, all these, all of his guys, and they brought other guys, and there were like, like water polo might have been the most physical, brutal, blood-spilling water polo game of all time. But Howard had, Howard was, he became the chief counsel for uh, Nike, mm -hmm. and he, he was just brilliant. Um, he would call me up. He was he was one of my great sources at the time, and I loved the guy. And I spent time with him in Pal. I just wanted to get to know him really well. And um, but he would call me every once in a while during the Gus Williams thing and give me information. And he'd say, "I'm going to make you a Pulitzer Prize winner," which never happened, by the way. <laughs> but just a, a great, great Is guy. Is he still with really, us, Howard really Slusher? Is he still with us, Howard Slusher? Uh, yes, he's, he's become kind of a recluse though. He's more Howard Hughes than, uh, than he used to be, but it'd be worth, uh, looking into. Oh, he'd be a fascinating talk to. You know, I remember as a, as a young kid, that early eighties, Gus Williams contract dispute where he sat out the whole year and the name Howard Slusher came up a lot in that early eighties era in Seattle. So. Yeah, no, he was, he was pretty much public enemy number one. And it, <laughs> I had just come up to Seattle 
uh, I'd been working in Portland and he had been giving all the information to me when I was working in Portland. And then I came up to Seattle and I went down to his home in Palos Verdes and did a feature on him. And I was like public enemy number one for, for what are you talking to that guy for? You know, uh, he's the, he's the devil, but um, really, really enjoyed it. He's very professional, very, very smart. Is he an attorney by training, Slusher? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He would be. He, he, he taught law at USC. Uh, okay. Wow. Wow. He'd be interesting. Um, I never asked you this question. Um, I, I'm getting into some, some of these questions I usually get to in the middle of the end of the interview. I'm kind of doing a reverse today, kind of getting to some of these uh, early on. Uh, what's Steve Kelly's favorite sports movie? Well, you know, I'm not good at that. I mean, I don't really watch. I would say uh, Brian's song. Um, I don't watch a lot of sports movies for some reason, but uh, yeah, Brian's song. I mean, just the whole, that, that friendship and the way, the way it, uh, it just kind of blossomed and, and how just grueling it was for Brian Piccolo and obviously for Gail Sayers, um, and how, how close they were. I mean, that, that was terrific. Great one. Yeah. With, um, yeah, now James Caan passed last year. He was in yeah, a yeah. few. He was in a few sports movies. James Caan. Um, would you consider Rollerball a sports movie? You ever see that? That sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, I did see it. I, I mean, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's borderline. It's borderline. Um, there was a movie a few years ago um, about uh, I can't remember for the fight in Miami. Um, I wish you hadn't asked me this. See, th these are the questions you asked me, and then I'd turn out to be really stupid with the answers. Oh, great. But the, there was a movie like, two years ago about a boxing match in Miami. It was a biopic, and I thought that was great. <laughs> so I thought it was so great, I can't remember the name or the boxers. But um, I'll, I'll Google it, <laughs> Let me know. and I'll call you back. And Billy D. Williams is still with us, who played Gail Sayers. I'm sorry. Billy D. Williams, who played Gail Sayers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's definitely one of my favorite sports movies. I think another guest or two mentioned Brian's song. All right. Uh, what is a very good sports book? Well, I'm partial, but I I think the best sports book ever written, and certainly the best basketball book ever written, was The Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam. And I'm partial to that because I saw the whole process from the day. The way it all came about was I was talking to Jack Ramsey one day and uh, the coach of the Trailblazers. And I mentioned the fact that David Halberstam was a hero of mine. I mean, I read his dispatches from Vietnam every day. And he was one of the few journalists over there who went out in the field with the soldiers and got the real story and told the real truth about the war. So he was a hero of mine anyway. I told Jack Ramsey that, and Jack said, I mean, this is just, you know, the serendipitous of life that, uh, serendipity of life that makes life worth living. And Jack says, uh, well, guess what? David's coming to town tomorrow. Do you want me to introduce you? I'm like, I'm excited. I'm scared to death. And he said, yeah, well, I'll, I'll arrange a coffee for you. So I had coffee with David the next day. He was great. I had told him about um, how I had driven from New York, Pennsylvania, where I was working, 
to Philadelphia to, to a, a book meeting to listen to him speak. And he, he wasn't, he got sick and he wasn't there. So he was effusive in his apology and I'm sorry I was sick and all of that. But then as we're talking, he says, I'm writing a book about the Trailblazers. My, my editors don't want me to do it because it's Portland, Oregon. They'd rather me do the Knicks or the Celtics or the Lakers. But he thought that Portland was where basketball, society, race, all the issues in America were happening in Portland with the Portland Trailblazers. He was right. His book is, I, I tell every young sports writer, uh, especially guys who want to cover the NBA, got to read this book because it's a primer for me it was grad school watching it go through it but it it everything he talks about then in the 80s is still ap apropos today it's a great he, book. we we talked about it the first time i had you on back in 2017 and you had a role in the book you're like i described you as like a supporting actor role in the book you were he, he would Halberstam confer with you. And it's a, it's one of the best basketball books ever and an amazing sports book to break the game. Yeah. And it, it, there, I don't know. Well, you know, David Remnick, who, who uh, is the editor of New Yorker. He was um, a sports writer for the Washington post, then went to, to Moscow and became bureau chief. But I met him in, in uh, Dallas. We were covering uh, John Elway's rookie year, um, with, with the Broncos in training camp. And every day, uh, Elway met with three writers for lunch. And, and you know, he, he didn't like it. And I said, I don't know. I have lunch with writers all the time. I don't know what your problem is. But um, David was so excited to meet me. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why, except that I had been in Halberstam's book. He was about to take over the, the, the Washington Bullets beat. And, and just was grilling me about questions about how do I cover this team? And I just kept saying, read the book, read the book. Well, that book, as you mentioned, Steve, breaks the, it gets into labor issues and race issues. Yeah. And I mean, as you mentioned, it's the issue still go on today, of course, but it's a terrific book. Yeah. Yeah. Great one. Well, Steve, I, I, I was going to ask this question later, but it kind of, it kind of ties in to where we are right now in this interview. And I actually sent you an arc about this the other day, but the New York Times is ending its sports section. And you know a lot of the well-known sports writers in America. Um, it's going to be replaced. The New York Times is replacing it with their website, The Atlantic, which it now owns, which is, I, I believe, a heavily sports-based website. Let, let me give you a quote from someone and give me your take on this. Um, Boston Globe columnist Bob Ryan called July 10th the day this was announced, a day that will live in infamy for anyone who cares about American sports journalism. What's your take on Ryan's um, perspective on the New York Times shutting down its sports section? Well, it's absurd. And I think it's a blatant um, end, end around attempt to uh, deep six the union. Um, the athletic is, is non-union and to farm out all their sports to non-union people when the rest of their staff are union people. That's... Um, that's not right. And they've, they've, uh, they've filed an official grievance now. And so it's not over yet. I didn't know that. I didn't know a grievance was filed. Wow. Wow. I think it just happened today. Wow. And it, it, it doesn't make sense. But then it, the New York Times sports section has always been 
a little different and it's become even more and more esoteric and you know it's the kind of thing and this is an exaggeration but it's the kind of thing where um in the middle of the super bowl week they might have a story about how cornhole is exploding in the seashell islands you know i mean i'm serious it's that you know you pick up the paper and you want to find out about uh jalen hurts and you know there's two guys in seashell islands throwing uh bean bags at each other <laughs> right. and, and it's like a 40 inch story um so there's that part of it also however when i used to read david haberstam i would flip over uh, this was when i was in high school i would flip over to the sports of course and arthur daly was one of the columnists there and um he would write columns of, and i i would always watch read it on monday when he would write about the the uh, Jets or the Giants. And I mean, he wrote really game, really great game columns. And um, then I was hooked. And, you know, Red Smith, Ira Burkow, um, uh, Robert Lipsight. I mean, those guys were writers. They weren't just sports writers. George Vesey. They were people who knew about the fiber of America. And they knew that sports it's like Halberstam said it sports reflects American life and um to to take that away from that paper um I won't miss the seashell islands but I'll miss uh Kurt Streeter's columns uh Tyler Kepner still writes great baseball stuff to read you know you could pick up the paper one day and, and and see some silliness on the front page of sports and then below it there would be a, a jerry longman long feature on on a track star right before the olympics or um world cup player world cup team um great stuff great reporting um i mean they still have a, a slew of, of great writers and to think that those writers are now going to be going to hop on the what the, the start writing about baking or, you know, interviewing uh, a trapeze artist who's going to be at Madison Square Garden. No, they, they like gritty stories. You know, Kurt Streeter is a Seattle Roseville High School guy, too. Yeah, uh, he still lives here. Yeah. Oh, he still lives here. I got to know. I'd love to get on my show at some point. Yeah, uh, get him on. It was interesting you mentioned the union issue. I was just reading a column by Dave Zyron, the Nation sports columnist. And he looks at sports from a, a lefty perspective. And he mentioned that he believes it was a union busting move where they can outsource their writers to the Atlantic. So you mentioned something I already read from Zyron, uh, but you gave me an update that, it, that apparently agreements was filed. And I'll share with you, Steve, I have said for years that I have thought that the Wall Street Journal and New York Times have had underrated sports sections where you could kind of get a, a different perspective. And I know they had some quirky one stories that you mentioned, but, they're, but I think both those papers um, have had some good sports coverage over the years. They wrote about different things. They wrote about social issues. Um, every paper has great writers who understand kind of the big picture of, of sports. Um, Sally Jenkins at the Washington Post, who might be the best sports writer in the country, um, has a handle on that. And I, I don't miss any of her columns. I just wish she wrote more. Like, like every great columnist that I ever read, Jim Murray, um, uh, John Shulian in Chicago. I mean, it's like, oh no, they're not writing today. <laughs> My day is empty. 
Um, and, and that's the great thing about great columnists is you look forward to every column or you try to look, but you, you hope that every column was as good as the one before. And those guys, those guys brought it. Well, let's see what happens. Maybe one day the New York Times will bring it back. You never know. You never know. Well, uh, it's not over yet. No, it's not over yet. Not too. And I think uh, the if I can just say the, the yeah, backlash right. is pretty profound right now, and that might change their mind. But they need they need a different mindset too. You know, right. and they're the perfect ones to cover gender gender based sports right now. Gender and transgender issues are huge, and there's no easy answer for them who can compete in in, in uh, what sports and how. Um, there's a lot of that's a, that's an issue that nobody's touching. It seems like to me. And um, the other the other story, every once in a while, I get a little itchy to write something. And the other story is gambling. Um, and you know the four NFL players that were uh, suspended for gambling. I think right after that news broke on NFL Network, they had a commercial for uh, one of the one of the betting agencies you know so it's like it's so hypocritical and um i'm surprised that the four players who got suspended aren't working for dual dash now or spark or uh, fan duel because uh, <laughs> they'd be experts steve you know you you mentioned something ago. i remember i asked this question several years ago if you would ever come out of retirement and write some columns you said no way no way but you said a minute ago you get the itch to write sometimes where are you on that you know um, well, you know, I used to write on a good day to probably close to a million people on Sunday. And now I do Facebook posts for, you know, 15 people, my 15 friends on Facebook. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I have a friend of mine, David Shields, who uh, uh, is a professor at the UW, creative writer, award winner. And he's always bugging me to just get your butt in the seat and start writing. And I do that and I get bored. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bored for the writing. I'm bored with what I'm writing. So, um, but I, I, I do, I, if I was writing a column today, everybody's talking about Jared Klenick, uh kicking the water cooler. Nobody's interviewing the water cooler. I would like to do an interview on the water cooler because it's not his fault. And he's got, he's dented up. He's got no water. He's dehydrated. I mean, I just, I would like to play around with that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, again, we'll keep up the Facebook posts at least. We can see some of your writing then now and then. So keep keep it up. I'll do my well, best. You mentioned we're going to the Mariners in a minute, and that was one of the questions from the listeners as a as a Mariner, which inevitably I was going to hit on today. But you know, you mentioned about gender in sports, and the a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient Megan Rapino um is announced her retirement and by the way she got the presidential medal of freedom from president biden not president trump if anyone's wondering but oh, yeah. um <laughs> but i i just like you to to comment on her legacy uh megan's legacy as she announced her retirement the other day well she just was part of the group that got the uh arthur ash award for uh courage from the uh the espies espies excuse me um well She's a firebrand, and I think she's lit a fire under all of her teammates. She's been outspoken about every issue, uh, every female woman's issue in sports. She's been right on everything. She's, she's. I mean, 
she has a lot of enemies in sports, even in women's sports, for her outspokenness. But um, she's a hero. There's no doubt about it. She's a hero uh, to women athletes. She's a hero to girls coming up. She's making life better for the next generation. And she's also a great player. And I, I'd, I'd almost, it, it takes a great player, I think, to rally the forces that needed to be rallied. And think about every kind of political group, everybody that she had to push to get equal pay and um, and equal opportunities. And the WNBA still flies, for the most part, commercial. And so, gee whiz, Brittany Griner gets gets accosted in a in an airport not physically but verbally accosted um because she's on a <laughs> she's on a commercial flight to the next game um there has to be some some that 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 issue has to be addressed as well and i don't know who the nba player is going to be um i think it might i think megan rapino that might be part of her her next chapter in life is she's going to be a spokesman like Billie Jean King for women's sports. Do, do you think a Rapino, you mentioned Billie Jean King a minute ago, is sort of an activist for women's sports in the same way that Ali and Russell did a lot for black athletes and the civil rights movement? Do, do you put her in that? Do you think historians will put her in that level as, a, as an advocate? Yeah, and, and Ellie wasn't just sports. Bill Russell wasn't just about sports. True. And Megan Rapinoe's not just about sports. True, true, true. Um, well, going to the Mariners now, I think right now... Do we now, have to? What's that? Do we have to? Well, I know. They're so, they're so mediocre. It, 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 it's it's just like talking about mediocre food almost. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's like... Let's talk about coleslaw for a while. <laughs> it's not. It's not talking about catalysts. It's talking about just the most mediocre. It's. It's kind of like talking about uh, frozen food that you. you, you anyhow, but, uh, I, I've had a lot more frozen food in my life than catalysts. But anyhow, so so um, they're they're about what five games of the wild card right now. I think as we speak, about nine and a half out of first place. Um, what's your general take? Which they do at the deadline? Just share a little more about the M's this year. Well, um, I don't go to the clubhouse anymore, so all of my thoughts are just kind of uh, sports fans' ta uh, thoughts. And also, I do go up to the press box and talk to the writers every once in a while. To me, there's a lack of discipline on this team. There's there's a lack of seriousness on this team. Um, I think they're having a good time. I think Julio's, you know, even though he's only hitting 240-whatever, uh, is having a great time. Um, uh, I see them laughing a lot as they're coming off the field, uh, losing five to nothing. And I just, I don't think that sends a very good message to the fans. I've been really fortunate to sit twice this year in the diamond club and right next to the dugout. And I've watched the dugout cl closely. There's very little talk. There's very little energy. Um, it's not a typical dugout and Everybody, so many guys like Jared Kelnick, um, are they, they're so wrapped up in what they're not doing that it affects the next at bat, the next fly ball to left field. He dropped the fly ball uh, Tuesday night in the ten to three loss, um, and then he kicked the water cooler a little later. 
and broke his foot. Um, there's a lack of discipline on the team. Um, I think Scott service is too passive, but more than that, you know, back in the day with the Mariners, there was Mark McLemore, there was Griffey, there was Jay Buhner, there was Jamie Moyer. There were guys who, you know, they didn't scream and yell maybe, but they would pull a player aside. Mark McLemore was in guys' faces and in an honest way, not in a jerk way, in an honest way. I don't know who that is. I think Gino Suarez, the third baseman, is a great guy and a solid human being, solid player. But he, he just doesn't seem to have that. J.P. Crawford has all of the energy. But again, he's I think he's it's not his role. So I don't know who who on that team should be that guy. It's it's not Julio. Steve, when you look at this 500 team, and who knows, maybe they'll go have a big winning streak in a couple weeks from now we'll have a different conversation with this team. As it stands right now, um, they're probably not going to make the playoffs, statistically speaking. You never know. I mean, things could happen. But but do you put some blame on management and, and just maybe not putting together the best 2023 20, roster? I don't think they did much in the offseason unless you think A.J. Pollock and Colton Wong are going to have great second halves to the year. Um, I, it's all, I don't think this is happening, but it just the, the impression is that they're waiting for Otani. And if you've ever seen the play Waiting for Godot, it doesn't work out. <laughs> it doesn't work out Waiting for Godot or, or for Otani. Um, and I think their pitching staff is so good. And, I mean, the only problem with these guys is they're young and they're going to have their dips. Uh, they're going to have their little injuries like Bryce Miller now. But they've got to do something to take a pitcher or two and trade them for seasoned good bats. And I don't think it's going to happen at the trade deadline, but as they move forward, and they could have done it last offseason, but as they move forward, I just think they put too much. They thought Ty France was going to have the same year. They thought Teoscar Hernandez, um, when he's not running through a stop sign and, and uh, getting thrown out at the plate, was going to be a, an offensive juggernaut. Um, they just they misfired on three guys, Hernandez, Long, and and uh, Pollock, and they didn't improve the team. And, uh, yeah, so a lot of that falls on them. I hear I hear this sort of defense of Mariners management that they, by giving Rodriguez and Costello long-term deals at the end of last year, those were sort of the equivalent to long-term moves. I've heard that argument, that they locked those two guys in for a while. But Yeah, uh, well... I've been watching Julio a lot, and I'm not a hitting coach, but it seems to me he's guessing on too many pitches, and and he's getting fooled all the time. And he's not he's not veteran enough to guess on pitches, I don't think. And he's also kind of got that home run derby thing in his head that every time he comes up in a close game, I can win this game with one swing of the bat. Um, and when you have <laughs> the combination of uh, I'm thinking slider on this pitch and I'm going to hit it out and it's a inside fastball that you can't catch up to. Um, and that swing doesn't look very good. I've seen that a lot from him. He just seems to be guessing. And um, I think the hitting coach maybe should address that. Interesting observations. A lot there. By the way, you mentioned that we talked about a 
the possibility of doing a deal before the deadline. How would you feel if the M's trade away a whole bunch of really good players, maybe some prospects to get Otani? You could end up being a rental player. Would you? How, how would you feel if they made a deal like that, a, a mega deal for Otani? I, I think it's too late because I don't think he's going to take him to the playoffs. And it's look what he look what he's look how great he is, and look what he's done for the Angels. Practically nothing, and he hasn't done anything with the Angels financially. They're making just as much, no more, than they were making the year before he came. Their attendance is a little bit down from when he came. That their average attendance. He he's not doing enough to bankrupt your franchise for two months. Now, if you you know the the, the wild card in all this for the Mariners is Ichiro. And Otani worships Ichiro. I mean, he, he, you know, there's God and then there's Ichiro. So, some, somewhere, I don't know who fits where. But um, the problem for Otani, these are the Japanese re- reporters telling me this, as much as he loves Ichiro, he's not sure he wants to have Ichiro around, around every day of his season. Um, and and judging him and so i think it would be up to ichiro to call him visit him and say i want you badly i i this team you you are the difference maker on this team um we'll, he's going to get whatever money he, he wants so that's not really an issue the mariners will give him as much as the dodgers yankees they will because they, they understand but ichiro will say i'll stay out of your way when you need me i'll be here don't treat me like I'm otherworldly. I'm Ichiro. I'm your friend. I'm your mentor. I'm not. I'm not somebody who's going to push you into places you don't, you don't feel comfortable. Steve, you know, let me let me back up for a second. Do you really think John Stat and the mayor's ownership group is going to be comfortable writing a, a check for over half a billion dollars for Otani for a long term deal? Are you are you skeptical at all they're actually going to do it if they have the opportunity to do it? I think the Mariners would give him whatever he needs. Oh wow! Okay, okay. I, I, I really think I really think that I I think they with the pitching they have now. If, I'm talking off season. I'm not talking the, the rest of this season. Right. So right. that they can keep their team intact if they can keep working. Um, just letting him know without without colluding, letting him know that. Uh, we we want you, and we'll 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 make a team for you. Now I know the Angels have tried that, but but it didn't work. But no, you know, free agents don't like coming here. But if Otani comes here, I think you're going to see the makings. the The other pieces will fall together because people, players, are going to want to play here. There could be something there. It'd be you'll be a huge. Seattle free agent signing. Oh, Maybe yeah, yeah. A huge one, but we'll we'll see what happens. Steve, I want to give you a couple of thoughts and feel free to challenge me on this. Um I went to the 2023 All-Star game. Yeah, I had a good time, of course, but I was sitting really high up and the players were not wearing their own uniforms. I didn't really know who was who. What what um I thought the prices were just outrageous for <laughs> events. Um do do how do you feel about me being a little mildly disappointed with my All Star Game experience this year? Well, well, let's start with the money. 
I went to I went through uh, baseball writers to get tickets for two tickets for the home run derby, two tickets for the game. Yeah. Thinking, well, I'm not getting a deal, but I'll probably get some fairly cheap face value tickets. Well, I did get face value tickets, but they were they were three hundred dollars for the All Star game, four hundred dollars for the home run derby, or right. no, vice versa, three hundred for the home run derby, four hundred for the All Star game, and so I spent a cool fourteen hundred dollars to watch this, and I didn't like. It's an exhibition game, right? So when um, Guriel hits the home run and celebrates running around the bases. We don't appeal that. We don't we don't look at it again. It's an exhibition game. This was a great moment. That's leave it at that. But instead we stopped the game and oh it was fouled by inches. Forget it. Let's 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 turn the clock back to 1985 and just call it a home run. I think there was a stolen base later and maybe even in that inning where it was hard to tell whether the runner was out or safe. They reviewed it. He was out. Um, why? We had a runner on second. We might have had some action. Um, great. There were some great defensive plays. But who? I mean, it's an exhibition game, and I don't think you should have to spend uh, $1,400 for an exhibition game. I don't Yeah, I just, in the package, the end sold it. They lock you into all those extras. And so I, a friend took me to the game and I paid him a nice little chunk for the ticket. But, um, and I went with another friend, Ben, actually, Olivia's dad, who took me to the uh, Futures game. But, but I don't know. I, I had a good time, but it was. Me too. I, I thought the 79 game was a lot more colorful and the 01 game was more colorful in some ways. So, but um, anyhow. Uh, do you think an event like that will will help Seattle be more on the map for as a host for big sports entertainment? Do, or do you think it's just a, a wash? Doesn't really matter. No, it it won't make a difference. Gotcha. Um, you know, we'll still get the World Cup, and I was excited about the World Cup, and then see, I sold both of my kidneys for uh, playoff tickets for the Kraken. And I, I, I'm not feeling very well right now, but that's a whole other story. I know. But, um, so I have nothing left to buy World Cup tickets with. And um, <laughs> uh, so it's hard to get excited if you're a fan in, in Seattle and you want to go to these cool events and you can't get in. And in the in, in Major League Baseball's case, you can't even get into a restaurant. <laughs> Maybe that you'd like to have a, a nice meal, a nice pregame meal. Um so there's all of that that I don't like, um, but I, you mentioned the uniforms, um, and one of the one of the really exciting things for me first the first All Star game I went to was in 1959 in Baltimore, and I'm guessing there were 25 Hall of Famers in that game. Uh, you know, I mean everybody was there: Aaron, Mays, Frank Robinson. It, it was it was amazing. I was 10 years old, but uh, it was amazing. And they all wore their team uniforms. They didn't wear an American League uniform and a National League uniform. And and that's changed now. And the only reason it's changed is because they could sell merchandise. They could sell American League shirts. They could sell National League shirts. I I just, do they, how much money is too much? Right, right. Well, it's funny. I I went to the. 79 game my late dad i was eight going on nine you went to the 59 game you were 10 so i i, I have vivid memories that 79 game it was it was an amazing experience steve uh, uh, a little more on baseball here um the oakland a's i think are 
are pretty set to move to Las Vegas, uh, should Major League Baseball do more to try to protect the Oakland market? Well, they did nothing. So anything would be more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, it's it's not that much different than the Sonics. That um, there's a great history there. Um, I've been to games there, World Series, playoff games. There that are the atmosphere is electric. Um, before they put the football uh, press bar, uh, luxury suites in the outfield, the view from the stadium out to the mountains was spectacular. Um, an Oakland A's game in the afternoon in September or October was one of my favorite things to, to cover. Um, and the owner just lost interest. Billy ball doesn't work anymore anyway. So that all blew up. They traded, look at all the guys. Uh, how many A's were on the all-star game? I know Matt Olson, uh, Sean Murphy. Um, and they were just there a couple years ago. It wasn't like this has been a 10 year project. They just got rid of everybody. And, and, there's a reason for that. They they wanted to make the, the franchise uh, low overhead. And um, but I've heard that Las Vegas isn't a lock yet, that there's other hurdles that have to be uh, cleared. And uh, I'm pretty sure Oakland's going to play in Oakland again next year. Well, we'll have to see. it seems to it almost seems like it's tentative. They're going to Vegas, but maybe there's there's more to it. Do you want to uh, go to Vegas? Do you want to go to Vegas and play in 114 degree heat? Because there's there's no dome stadium right now. It's going to take a right. while to, to build one. I don't like the extreme heat or the extreme cold. I'm, I'm kind of a Seattle mild weather guy, but that's <laughs> you belong uh, here. Speaking of the uh, of the uh, you mentioned the Sonics situation has some similarities to the Oakland A's situation right now. The relocation battle. Uh, Adam Silver made some comments that were probably some of the more suggestive that the NBA is very interesting on XL we've heard in a long, long time. Uh, do you think we're going to have a franchise actually playing here in the 2020s? I've answered this question since, since uh, 2012. And, you know, it's, it, it, when they left, I knew this was, this is what was going to happen. We were going to be chasing our tail. Hey, maybe we can get Memphis. No, we can't get Memphis. Oh, we're, we're a, we're, we're going to get Sacramento. It's no doubt that we're going to get Sacramento. We didn't get Sacramento. And now there's this long wasteland period. And yeah, when the when the um, collective bargaining agreement and the TV deal is all tied up, um, they're going to they're going to have two expansion franchises. And if one of them isn't Seattle, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But that that's not going to be now till. Uh, 2025, 26, probably, I believe. And, um, and, and it's another thing, and I hate to keep, you know, crying poor mouth, but, um, tickets are going to be super expensive and it's going to be your team. But how many games are you going to get to go see if you're just an average fan? I went to a couple cracking games this year and looked around at the crowd. And I mean, it, they weren't all Bill Gates's. They were normal, uh, hardworking uh, citizens who were bringing their their two kids and their wife and husband and loading up on food when they get there and parking for $50, 60 I don't know how they do it. I really don't know how they do it. 
and I empathize with them. Um, I mean, I was spoiled. I went to every game for free for 40 years. So I'm sort of having my eyes opened. At the same time, prices since I've retired are just ridiculous. And again, it's why, how much do you need and who are you catering to? And what happens when, for instance, the Kraken uh, win 22 games one year, which, you know, it's pretty inevitable that's going to happen. Um, you're still going to sell those. Who's going to come to the games? And where's the, is the passion going to drain? And where do you go from there? Yeah, those cracking games are fun. I, I've gone to a bunch. Oh, They're yeah. They're not cheap, but NHL is a great product. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm learning as I'm watching it. Um, you know, the, the thing with the whole NBA situation, you, you bring something up there about the, the, the prices and there's all the other dynamic. If we end up having the NHL and the NBA in Seattle, what is it is having the NBA here going to affect the crack? And there's a bunch of moving parts, aren't there? Yeah. Maybe too many moving parts. Um, I, I've always thought that whichever franchise gets here first, the NHL or the NBA, that's going to be the main franchise. And the Kraken beat them there, and the Kraken have had success, and they're they're getting better. They're not getting worse. Um, so I think the Sonics, I mean, I hate to say this, but I think the Sonics might have a tough go because expansion in the NBA is a lot different than expansion in the NHL and the Sonics are going to be bad for a long time. And we'll be, here's another thing. We'll be paying ticket for ticket prices to see LeBron and Kawhi and, and uh, Embiid and Damian Lillard. Oh, I'm sorry. Load management. They're not here tonight. There's going to be a lot of that. And the great thing about hockey players, they don't believe in load management. If they can skate, they're going to play. And I think that's going to win a lot of fans and keep a lot of fans. But this load management thing, especially when you're playing a team, you're coming into town uh, against a team that's not in the playoffs, um, you're going to rest some of your guys. And, go, go ahead. ahead sorry. I interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it's, so you're paying the price to see LeBron, but you're getting, you know, JaVale McGee or something like that. Let me a thought to you, Steve. Tell me if this is possible, that if the Seattle ownership group ends up paying, I don't know, a $2 billion expansion fee, something absolutely insane, could yep. there be a deal where the expansion rules will be more friendly for the two new teams coming in? Could you see maybe the expansion rules getting adjusted a little bit or a team could get, get better quicker with that type of, that type of expansion fee? Uh, let me think about that. No. No. I don't think so. I don't think this these owners are going to give the Sonics and, and the, the Vegas franchise any breaks. No, no leniency on that. You're probably I mean, that's, not that's the history. Wondering, yeah. Kind of wondering. Well, I, I guess I have a couple of questions to the audience, Steve. Let me get one in here. Uh, one uh, listener posted on Facebook, and this person is interested in you mentioning a couple players that got mad at you after you wrote a tough column do you have any do you have a story or two you can share sure uh, oh i got a million of them <laughs> uh, in my early days writing columns about the mariners in the in the early 80s they weren't very good but um 
they had potential. We had Spike Owen, Mike Moore. Uh, they had guys coming up, uh, Danny Tartable, um, guys who might might develop. And I was talking, and they didn't. None of them liked me because they were. I I, I thought they were underachieving. Um, so uh, I'm interviewing. I love I love umpires, and I was interviewing Steve Palermo behind um, the batting cage before a game. Probably the best umpire, maybe the best umpire ever, certainly the best of his generation. And Spike Owen is maybe 20 feet in front of us. And he's throwing balls at us. Well, he's throwing balls at me, not Palermo. And Palermo yells at him, hey, if you hit me, you're out of the game. And I said, no, he's aiming at me. And he was. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, give me a hot foot. I'm hopping up and down. And so Palermo finally just told him, don't do that anymore. Could have been hurt with a major league player throwing a ball at you from twenty feet away. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. My, my, one of my favorite. <clears throat> I have a couple others. One of my favorite stories was um, uh, Junior got to the All Star game for the first time, and you know he he still was doing immature things like not running out ground balls and and um, just not being as good as I thought he could be. So. I wrote a column um, the day before the All-Star game saying, how good do you want to be? And brought up all the things that I think he can do better. And he being one of the greatest talents in baseball, he's got to he should live up to that. And um, it, it was it, it wasn't a negative. It wasn't a rip job by any means. It was like, I want you to be good. I um, Sunday before I wrote it, I said to. I went into to Jim Lefevre's office. He was the manager. And I said, I got this idea for Calm on Junior. What do you think? And he said, <laughs> he was wrong about this, but he said, you'd be a hero in the clubhouse, um, which was just the opposite. But anyway, so Junior goes, it's in the game, I think it's in Toronto. He calls me on Monday afternoon. I'm sitting in the living room with my wife. And I pick up the phone. Oh, no, she's at, the, she's at the office. I pick up the phone, and uh, she was on the phone, other line at work. And uh, I said, I got to go. It's Junior. Call me back as soon as, as you're done. So a half hour later, she calls me back and says, you didn't call me back. I said, I'm still talking to him. So an hour later, you didn't call me back. I'm still talking to him. Two and a half hours, we talked. And he went through a whole thing about how veterans weren't treating him well and um, just how tough it was being Ken Griffey Sr.'s uh, son, expectations. Sometimes you just have to step back and relax and not think about the expectations. I mean, he was great. He was really, really good. And But two and a half hours, it was just, I mean, it was incredible. And every, now... Anytime I see him, and this is what, 20 years later? I don't even know. He quotes from that column. And this is one of the greatest players of all time. And he's still upset that I question his direction. But but that also kind of speaks to the, the drive that Griffey has. And um, he said something to Dave Sims during the All-Star break just recently that that column was one of the things that motivated. So uh, I kind of kind of took a little pride in that. Right. And I, I always love talking to Junior because 
I mean, often went around in circles, but he was really trying. When when I talked to him, he was always trying to tell me something. It wasn't it wasn't a fight. It wasn't uh, mean spirited at all. He was always trying to tell me something. And we got to watch. I mean, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't quite know how great the guy is you're watching. But we were watching greatness back then. And, you know, you don't get that very often. It seems to me, Steve, the way you're telling the story, that Griffey had some very deep sensitivity about that column. He talked about it for a couple hours and stuff. It seems like it really affected him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I didn't expect it. That's for sure. Um, and if I did expect anything, I would. I was expecting snarky stuff. Um, but no, it was a. It, it was a kind of a, a grown up response to to some criticism. And the spiko and throwing balls at your at your, at your story. I won't let that. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, and it's Steve Palermo. It's the best umpire in baseball, and he's protecting me. <laughs> you know, he's threatening to throw a spike out of the game if he hits me. Right, and a protective like guy bodyguard there. Uh, another question we got is uh, I'm kind of sort of uh, paraphrasing it. What was Lou Pinello like after a tough loss? <laughs> um, uh, he was short. He, he didn't usually say much, but I'll tell you what, when in those situations, you better ask the right question because he'll make you two feet six with like three words. And, and you knew you were in trouble. Like he knew all us, you know, and he knew who we were. And you knew you were in trouble when he said, well, sir. And it's like, oh, I know it's coming. <laughs> it's not good. But he he was, I loved Lou. I loved covering him. Um, two quick stories. One is every Sunday we would be in his office. He would be chain smoking and he would tell great stories while we were all getting secondhand smoke and and, and, and possibly risking our lives to, to hear what he said. But he would spin stories about the Yankees and players on the Yankees and his days in Kansas City. And um, it was storytelling time. And it was so great. And he, he's a, I believe, a wonderful man. I was um, helping out a boy, um, um, Ari Grashen, who um, had brain, a brain tumor. And I had met him, a friend of mine had introduced me to him. And we get, or Ari was the kind of guy that once you became his friend, you, he, he wouldn't let go of you. And I spent a lot of time with him. We did a lot of fun things. Uh, we went to a Mariner game. And after the game, uh, his his favorite player was Charles Gibson, if you remember him. And I, I, he and Ari and a couple of his friends were were with me. We went down. They went down to the locker room to see Charles Gibson, and he, he had forgotten, and he left. And the guys were heartbroken. So I went in the clubhouse. Fortunately, the Mariners had won that day, and Joel Pinheiro had pitched uh, like a three hitter. I saw Lou and I said, Lou, can you do me a favor? I, I told him the, the story and I oh, sure, bring him in. So I brought him in and for about a half hour, Lou took him around. Ari was in a wheelchair, took him around to all the players that were still there, introduced them. And Ari, who was kind of a wise guy, started saying, why'd you pull Pinero in the eighth inning? And asked him a bunch of like, why'd you do this questions? And Lou answered them as if it was, you know, a, a professional sports writer so um that was the other side of Lou he you know he he uh accompanied Ari back out of the uh clubhouse and uh 
Lou was a little choked up. It was just that kind of, of moment. And I was choked up watching Lou. Yeah, we you and I talked about Ari Grash, and I think on one of our one of our interviews I did with you, and I had your friend Steve Boone on, and Steve had some great stories about Ari Grash, and so um, very sad that we lost him at such a young such a young age. Uh, you know, before this interview started, uh, the name Dick Williams came up. He was a Mariners manager. He always struck me as a real character, Dick Williams. Um, can you share a fun Dick Williams or two story? Well. well- when he came, uh, Barry Bloom, who's a friend of mine and was covering the San Diego Padres when, when Dick Williams was the manager, called me and he said, get out of the town, get, get as far away from him as you can. And, you know, of course I didn't. And for the first three or four weeks, I went on the first road trip with them and he was great. And he was, you know, he was honest about how bad the team was and what, what the team needed and what he was going to provide. But um, they kept losing. They kept losing. And um, I remember asking, oh, I know Steve Carlton uh, was pitching for the White Sox. And Steve Carlton, Hall of Famer, you know, 300-game winner. And there were like 10,000 pe- 10, people in the stands for Steve Carlton. And, I, I, you know, I says, after the game, I said, what do you think about that? And And that was like the beginning of our – the end of our relationship what do you mean what i i don't care how many people were there i don't care that we couldn't hit the ball i care what and so i called barry and said you were right it took a little while but you were right i have a um, dick but- williams book somewhere in my bookshelf back here it was a it's a fun biography he took shots at george ardros for being too cheap and he you know he he was a uh he was an outspoken uh baseball baseball guy uh, they could use him now. They could use him now. Right. I mean, he, right. there's no way he could manage in, in the major leagues in this uh, in 2023. Sure. But they could use a little more, more fire. I'm you sorry. Got time for a few more questions. You got time for a few more questions? I'm retired. <laughs> you know, I got till about midnight. So okay. Well, I would do that. Let it rip. Do, yeah, that's fun. I would do that to you. Um, Husky basketball. Um, Mike Hopkins, I think contract goes through the 24-25 season. I don't know. It just seems right now that it's almost like going to a graveyard at Husky basketball games. Uh, what, what, what's, can you give us some thoughts on this whole, whole situation right now? Yeah. Well, this year they were completely irrelevant. No one talked about them. Uh, there was no energy in the, in the arena. Um, and And everything went south on this team. When he uh, when he had Jaden McDaniels, and he had um, uh, the the guy with the Pistons, I'm, I'm spacing on his name now. He's now playing in the NBA and playing really well. He had two blue chip one and doneers, and did nothing with them. They they didn't even make the NIT, and um, that was sort of the beginning of the game. And there's a there's a there's a rumor out there that he's really tough on the kids and and you see you see a lot of defections in this um transfer portal which is a nightmare um he's a lot of guys have left for the transfer portal on the other hand he's brought some pretty good guys in he's brought like the second tier of uh the transfer portal guys guys who had good years at smaller schools for the most part he brought in of Severe Wheeler, the point guard for Kentucky, to work with Keon Brooks, the big the big man, 
And that could be a pretty good combination. They could be pretty decent this year. I don't know if it's too late or not. Um, you know, if they, if with all these guys he's brought in, if he um, doesn't make, I think he's got to make the, the NCAA. Um, if he doesn't, he's gone. What's your take on this talk about Larry Brown becoming an assistant coach at the UW? Well, what happened to it? I haven't, I haven't heard anything all of a sudden. Yeah, I heard it looked like it was an imminent, almost done deal. And I, we haven't heard about it for several weeks. What, what could Larry Brown uh, play a role in helping things out? Well, I don't know if they had some discussion about what Larry Brown's role would be, and it determined that it wasn't wasn't going to work. Uh, I would love him here. He's 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 kind of a George Carl. He was George Carl before George Carl, and he loves basketball. He's incredibly intense. He'll talk basketball all day. He'll he's completely honest. Uh, the, my my favorite thing about him is he he never gave up on a game, win or lose. And they were beating the he was with Detroit. They were winning the NBA championship. There was a minute to go in the game. All the players are on the bench hugging. The, the reserves are in the game, and and Darko Militich turn, make, turns the ball over, and Larry starts stomping around and. And and uh, um, uh, Ricky Mayhorn grabbed him and just pulled him away and and like slapped a smile onto his face. It's like it's over. We don't have to coach right now. He'd be a but, he'd be a guy to spend time with. But I think we need I, you know we need some personality. Uh, I don't Hop doesn't seem to have a personality that that reflects in a game to the fans. Um, and somebody like Larry, Larry Brown, even as a as a uh, assistant coach, would bring that. Hopkins I'd gets energetic, but but yeah, you know, there there's gotta wonder. Uh, I'm I'm gonna hit on I think two more subjects, Steve. Um, all this conference shuffling talk. What do you think the University of Washington, Washington State University, should do? I don't know that. See, now, now you're asking me questions where I'm not smart enough to answer them. No, you can. <laughs> but they've got to go. I don't, I don't know where they go, but I think they better go to the Big Twelve or the, or the Big Ten like tomorrow. And I don't think either one of those conferences is going to take WSU. And my concern, my worry, and I hope I'm wrong, is they're going to end up in the Mountain West. Um, it's a cutthroat business now, and it's what 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 can you bring to the table, and by what I mean cash, and um, it's it's a tough time to be Washington, Washington State, Stanford, Cal. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Do you think it'd be a shame, Steve, that I have Washington State, Washington State in the same conference? If I'm sorry, Do you think it'd be a shame if Washington State and UW were not in the same conference? Yeah. Yeah, if the Apple Cup didn't mean anything, if it was a non-conference game in September, yeah, it would be horrible. I'm old school. I still like the geographic rivalries and stuff. I agree, but that that's long gone. I used to learn geography by uh, looking at college teams and finding out where they were and what conference right. they were in. You can't do that anymore. Oh, Rutgers, they're in the Big Ten. They must be in the Midwest somewhere because that's what it is now. Right, right. Uh, 2023 Seahawks, any thoughts? Boy, um, a great, it's great to speculate. Um, they've shored up their defense. If Geno Smith is the real deal, if, if 
he continues to work hard. I mean, he, he was amazing last year. Now, was that a aberration or is that who Geno Smith really is after 10 years? Uh, that's a question. But, you know, he's got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and he's got weapons. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it should be a, just a fun year. It's a, a pretty good home schedule. Um, you know, let's kick it off. Yeah, I am too. And I had the uh, new quarterbacks coach, Gino's new quarterbacks coach, had Greg um, Olson on my show a few weeks back. Another great interview, by the way. Another great interview. Greg's a great guy. He's a heck of a nice guy. I've got to know him this year. Just a great guy. And uh, he has a lot of, he's very positive about the Hawks this year. So, well, Steve, I I um, I won't talk to you till midnight, but I, but I will uh, fully intend to have you back again and love all your insights on a potpourri of of, of subjects. You know, we we could we I could talk to you for hours, but I really appreciate you doing this, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. Appreciate being here, always. Okay, thanks, Steve. You bet. Appreciate it.